1: Now it's time to talk about Syrian refugees as the war in Syria continues. More than 5 million people have fled Syria since the civil war broke out there seven years ago. Most of them have gone to nearby countries in the Middle East. In 2016, the United States admitted around 15,000 Syrian refugees. That was Obama's last year. This year, with Trump as president, in the first three months, we've admitted 11 11 Syrian refugees. For comment, we turn to Wendy Perlman. She teaches at Northwestern. She speaks fluent Arabic. She spent more than 20 years studying and living in Lebanon, Jordan, Egypt, Israel, the West Bank, and Gaza. She's written for The Washington Post, Harper's, and The Nation. Her new book, based on interviews with hundreds of ordinary Syrians across the Middle East, Europe, and the United States, is called We Crossed a Bridge and It Trembled voices from Syria. Wendy Perlman, welcome to the program.
0: Thank you so much for having me.
1: Well, we have to start with Donald Trump, whose original travel ban prohibited all Syrians from entering the United States. Now there are a few. Let's take up Trump's argument. He says we need, this is a quote, To keep radical Islamic terrorists out of the United States of America, we don't want them here. We want to ensure we aren't admitting into our country the very threats that our men and women are fighting overseas, close quote Donald Trump. So we need what he calls extreme vetting of Muslim refugees, especially Syrians, because because of ISIS. ISIS, of course, I-S-I-S islamic state inside syria is what isis stands for isis members from syria he says could be disguising themselves as refugees to sneak into the united states so that's why we need extreme vetting to keep terrorists out what do you think about this argument what do you know about what it takes for a syrian to to get refugee status in the united states
0: Well, I think that what it takes for a Syrian to get refugee status or anyone to get refugee status and be resettled in the United States is already to go through extreme vetting. That extreme vetting is the status quo. Already there exists years of interviews, of background checks, of waiting, of paperwork, of all sorts of verifications. When you talk to asylum officers and resettlement officers, they say that already in existence um, has long been the most extreme vetting they could possibly imagine. And it only takes the most uh, minimal knowledge of the resettlement program to know that those are really false accusations.
1: Trump's ambassador to the United Nations, Nikki Haley, recently said that the Syrians she has met in refugee camps uh, do not want to come to the United States. Uh, Quoting from Nikki Haley, not one of the many that I talked to ever said, we want to go to America. They want to stay as close to Syria as they can, close quote. You've talked to hundreds of Syrian refugees. Did any of them tell you they'd like to come to America?
0: Uh, Yes. I think that the, that Ambassador Haley's statement is also a, a misrepresentation of a very complex reality. Uh, most refugees want to return home, and Syrian refugees are no exception. People would like nothing more than to return to their their homes and their reality. The loss, the pain, um, the sheer earthquake it means in people's lives. So refugees do not flee easily. They flee because they fear for their lives. They flee because they worry that if they stay one day longer, they might be killed by a chemical weapon or a barrel bomb or be arrested and die in a dungeon prison. Or they've come to realize that there's just no life um, where they are, that they might be conscripted into the army. So it's only the most severe dangers that force people to to leave their homes. And once people leave, uh, you can imagine that there's a lingering desire to go back. It's not easy to be a foreigner in a new land to um, perhaps not have legal status, to live in the most uh, dire of conditions, perhaps in a tent or a bare apartment, to start life over. But what you have in the Syrian situation is, after more than seven years of a brutal war and all types of violence used by a brutal regime that's been willing to do everything it needs to do and can do to stay in power, and a regime that has strong allies like Russia and Iran uh, supporting it, militarily economically, politically, what you have for many refugees is the reality that their homes no longer exist. Their towns and neighborhoods and streets no longer exist. Um, and in addition for many refugees who are fleeing the Assad regime, there's facing a reality that that Assad regime seems to be consolidating power. More and more you have people saying it seems that the regime has won. It is reconquering slowly the territory that slipped from its control um, during the past seven years. So for refugees, many of them, there is, it's unthinkable to return to live under the Assad regime again. If they participated in any sort of dissent, there is no credible commitment that they can believe that if they return to Syria, they will not be killed by the same regime. They will not be arrested, they will not be tortured, they will not be disappeared. And even for those who were not active opponents participating in protest and so forth, there's still a tremendous amount of fear. What if they once posted something on Facebook that was critical of the regime? What if they have a friend or a relative who was critical of the regime? What if they're from a town or community or ethnic or religious group that is perceived as being critical? They also fear that if they go back, there will be no protection for their safety. So surveys that are done of Syrian refugees say, as Nikki Haley suggests, yes, they would like nothing more to return. But they also frequently say that they would not return unless there is some type of political transition leading to a post-Assad future, and they will not return unless there are some basic guarantees for their physical safety. And it is very difficult that it can be imagined it can be guaranteed under the current political circumstances and as long as Bashar al-Assad is in power. And that's why many refugees see no alternative but to try to start their lives over. And in those border countries that you mentioned, where there are currently about 5.6 million Syrian refugees, the largest number in Turkey, and smaller numbers in Jordan, in Lebanon, even some in Iraq and in Egypt. The conditions are tremendously dire. These are not countries that uh, recognize refugee status and asylum status for Syrian refugees. Rather, they're treated as guests. The overwhelming majority work in the informal economy where they have exploitative conditions, very low wages, often unsafe conditions, no legal recourse. Some are in refugee camps. The overwhelming are urban refugees where they're struggling to pay rent in apartments and houses. There are hundreds of thousands of children who are not going to school, instead who are working full-time, sometimes 12, 14 hours in factories and fields and sweatshops. Their lives are the definition of precarious, unsafe. For many refugees in that situation, yes, Of course, many would want to seek more stable opportunity elsewhere, which is why you had so many risking their lives in these inflatable boats to cross the Mediterranean, hope to get to Europe, and why you would have many, many, many more come to the United States and come to Canada and come to North America if they were allowed.
1: Let's talk about your interviews for this book. How many weeks and months have you spent interviewing refugees and where did you find them? So,
0: I began doing these interviews in 2012. Um, I spent about uh, a month and a half, two months in Jordan interviewing Syrian refugees there. And then I continued to interview Syrian refugees for the next four years. So, I returned to Jordan in 2013 and then s- spent several months in Turkey. And then I returned to Turkey in 2015, 2016, moved on to Lebanon, did some interviews even in the United Arab Emirates. And then as a large wave of of refugees moved on to um, Europe in 2015, I also moved on and did interviews with Syrian refugees in Denmark, Sweden, and Germany, and also did some interviews with Syrian refugees in the United States. So it was many weeks, many months, over a period of many years. And that time frame was useful because it really allowed me to see how refugee stories evolved over time. It allowed me to access people of different walks of life. And in going to different countries, I was able to see how the refugee experience was different depending on where people wound up my interviews were open-ended. They were usually just a space in which I asked someone to talk about his or her life, what the Syrian conflict had been like for him or her, and also about life before the conflict began, which was very important to help me put the Syrian uprising and then the Syrian war in a larger historical perspective.
1: One last thing, the title, We Crossed a Bridge and It Trembled. What does the title mean?
0: So the title is taken directly from one of these testimonials. It was so important for me to write a book that was exclusively in Syrians' own words. I collected these testimonials, and my job was that of a curator. I put them in a sequence. I, I... Edited them for readability and for length, and created a mosaic of stories, a sort of series of conversations. It was important for me that the title would also be taken directly from those words. So the title is taken from a testimonial from a man, a man, describing a huge demonstration in spring 2011. This was the period when there were mass demonstrations, hundreds of thousands of people, peacefully, non-violently, without arms, going out into the streets and calling for freedom, calling for dignity, calling for change. And he describes one of these protests in which the crowd was so large, he said, that they crossed a bridge in his town. They crossed a bridge and it trembled under the weight of so many people. So it's a literal description of this mass shows of people's power at the height of a people's popular uprising. And I think it's so important to remember that what is now a war and a refugee crisis began a popular uprising. So it's a literal description, but it's also a metaphor. I think that Syrians have crossed many bridges. They've crossed the bridges from authoritarianism to revolution from revolution to war, and eventually from the homeland to exile. And all of those bridges have left Syrians trembling under the the sheer gravity of this tumult, this loss, this violence, this pain. And I hope my book for those who read it, will remind them of, of the gravity of the humanitarian catastrophe, of the hope of that popular uprising that in many ways was abandoned by the world, and will shake people and encourage them to do more, to do more in solidarity with Syria, to do more in solidarity with Syrian refugees, to demand different policies from our own government and decision-makers, and to uh, do all they can to see an end to this war and uh, the creation. Of of a a syrian which syrians can indeed return to their homeland and their country but live there with freedom security
1: and dignity the book is we crossed a bridge and it trembled voices from syria the author is wendy perlman wendy thanks for this book and thanks for talking with us today
0: my pleasure thank you
2: Investors like you have a problem. Today, most portfolios only include stocks and bonds. While it's currently performing, it's a strategy that Goldman Sachs predicted in 2023 to underperform for the next decade. Luckily, our sponsor, Masterworks Advisors, focuses on a non-traditional alternative asset, helping over 15,000 investors diversify a portion of their overall portfolios with blue-chip post-war contemporary art. Over 60% of wealth managers surveyed by Deloitte have already integrated art into their wealth management offering. And by signing up at masterworks.com slash advisors with code free, you can talk to a registered investment advisor representative who deals exclusively with this alternative asset class. So schedule a free same-day advisory call with Masterworks Advisors just by going to masterworks.com slash advisors and using promo code free. That's masterworks.com slash advisors promo code free. This advertisement relates to the provision of advisory services by Masterworks Advisors LLC and is not intended to offer or solicit investment in any securities and is not investment advice. Masterworks Advisors is affiliated with Masterworks.